0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Watershed. Uh, We are here because of the goodness of God, and we're going to sing about that in a few minutes. We invite you to stand and welcome those that are around you. We invite you to join us as we sing our praises to God. is just recognizing the love of the Father and we run to his his open arms to us. He embraces us. He gives us his mercy and grace. We're gonna sing about that. There's a lot of ways to look at that parable though, and Pastor Aaron is going to shed some light on that later as well.
1: Good morning, everyone. All right, we're kind of getting there. Yeah, that snow slowed us down a little bit today, and I do know it's Super Bowl Sunday, so you know the Bears will never be in it again at this rate, so what do I care? Um, (laughs) No, on that note, uh, just good to see you all this morning, glad to be with you. A couple announcements for you before we go any further on Tuesday this week. uh, We have a potluck uh, Tuesday. At 11:30, potluck and bingo. So, if bingo is your thing, uh, please join us. Uh, bring bring a dish. will be in the great room over in the red brick at 11:30. And it is the week of potlucks because then on Sunday next week we have our watershed third Sunday potluck uh, right after worship. So, if you want to come and hang out, even if you just want to hang out for a little longer after worship um, and and talk, chat, hang out, be together. Uh, one of the things that we value here is just developing friendship. Uh, the church is us. Church is not a building. It isn't this campus. While we're blessed to have these things, we are uh, the body of Christ. So we want to get to know each other. We want to be able to share life together. So want to invite you to do that. And then uh, next, as always, if you do want to connect, uh, you can... Text CONNECT to 202-1210, 616-202-1210. If you need prayer, um, text PRAYER to that. Both of those things will give you a little form. um, You can also give through that. Otherwise, uh, at this time, Sophie Vindorn is going to pray. And I'm going to invite kids through third grade if if you're heading out. Um, Sophie's going to pray for you. So if kids through third grade want to meet us over here, come on down.
2: Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for um, all of the kids here who's ready to learn and give themselves to Christ. Um, please be with everyone else in the main service, and um, please help everyone be safe and like um, have fun today. You know, Amen.
0: Sophie, go ahead and stand with us as we sing uh, Reckless Love. Till your love
2: fought for me
1: together in prayer this morning. God, uh, thank you for a love that to many would seem reckless. To think that you would leave everything to, to pursue us, to come and get us, to take us back. Especially when God, so many times we don't deserve it. We don't deserve that kind of grace, that unearned love. Lord, and I can't speak for everybody here, I can only speak for myself, but so often I'm used to trying to earn things, trying to make my way, trying to do what I think needs to happen. But see, Lord, none of that, none of that's the case with you, because it's not in some ways about us at all. It's about the truth, the fact that you love us. That's it. You created us because you love us. When sin, when brokenness took us away, God, when we've been trapped up in, in, in the things of this world, in the, in the mistakes, and the missteps, Lord, you wouldn't let life remain that way for us. You keep pursuing us. You keep running after us. You are relentless in that. Thank you for having that kind of love. Thank you for walking, as we hear in Psalm 23, through the the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, that we can fear no evil, for you are with us, God, that you prepare a table for us. God, may we rest in that good news today. May we hear that good news again as we, we dive into your word, as your word teaches us again about this scandalous grace. Because grace is exactly that. It's scandalous. It's it's upside down. It it should blow our minds because it's not the way the world normally works. It's not the way we work. Lord, remind us again the beauty of your love, the depths to which you'll go over and over and over again. God, I think about some of the people in our community today, uh, especially those who are just dealing with cancer multiple forms of cancer who are going through treatments, chemotherapy, and who are awaiting others. I think about Helene and I think about Sean and Phil. Lord is they're dealing with with being in the middle of processes, just starting processes, wondering what's next. Think about Wayne is he's also dealing with a tumor. God, they need your your hand, your healing, your help to to step in and, and, and drive the disease out of their bodies. Lord, if that's just four of our family here at Hardaway, across this campus, again, I'm reminded of how many other families in our community here, just in Holland, are dealing with not just cancer, but Lord, our hospitals are full still of people who are dealing with COVID, who are dealing with different uh, flus and different pneumonias and other diseases that lord we have yet to be able to name even though we have all of this technology and wisdom that doctors and nurses have lord you, you there's still things that are beyond our comprehension so god we need you to continue to just be with those who are sick who are hurting lord and as we we ask you to be with that lord i, I i'm saying that because i I want, I want people to be able to experience your presence, to know that you're there. We know you're there. That's the truth. That's the reality. You're there with each of us no matter where we are, whether we see it, whether we feel it or not. You are there. Lord, make your presence known. God, I think about across campus here and, and across churches here in West Michigan, we, we pray that your presence is being made known in, in in those who are on a journey with you Lord, that's all all this life is with you it's a journey and we're at different places in our journey some of us lord are are open to who you are but don't yet have a personal relationship with you some of us have had that relationship for a long time lord some of us are sometimes walking away and coming back lord but thank you that in your your grace and your mercy we're allowed to be on a journey that we can Meet you where we're at as much as knowing that you'll meet us where we're at. So again, God, today meet us where we're at. Each of us. And I love the fact that, God, I can pray that and ask that because you will. You have the capability to do that. I don't. God, meet each of us where we need you to meet us. If it's needing to heal something in our hearts, Lord, do that this morning. If it's needing a word of wisdom from your scriptures, your story, do that. If it's through a word that I say this morning in a sermon, prepared, Lord, God, do that. But God, may what takes place in this moment, whether it's through songs, whether it's through this prayer, whether it's through your scripture, whether it's through an interaction with one another, God, may it not only bring you glory, but may it bring life to each of us. May we be able to walk out of this place encouraged, Lord, knowing that you're with us and you're never leaving us. So God, in your grace again this morning, just speak. Speak your truth. Speak through me, God, and speak into each of our hearts. In your love, speak your life. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in a series called The Scandal of Grace, and we've been talking about parables. Parables are these short stories of Jesus, and uh, if you were to go to the dictionary, they would define parables as a moral story, or not only that, just like a theological discourse. And what do I mean by that? It's just a a statement of, like, doctrine. So um, we know this, and if you've been around, if you haven't, that's okay, I'm going to catch you up. But that's not exactly what Jesus means by a parable. Okay, he's not going, here, I'm just, my main concern is to teach you a moral truth right, or a good doctrine to have in your head. No, Jesus uses parables to teach us something about himself, who he is, what his mission is on this earth and what his kingdom is all about. And if we remove that, then yeah, the parable we're going to hear today of the prodigal son might not be, what we thought it was. If we look at it, though, through the lens of what is it telling us about who Jesus is, what is it telling us about what God's kingdom is all about, man, we're going to, there might be something new for us. There might be something more than just go do this. Maybe it'll actually be a message where we can go, you know what, you can actually rest. You can be encouraged. You can could, you could take a breath in this world. That there's a God who's for you and not against you. There's a God who is a father who runs after us, who pursues us as much as we can know that we can run to Him. Now, I titled, though, the message, we know it's the prodigal son. This is the parable. Uh, I titled the message Festival of Death, partly because that was just kind of a fun title. But I was reading uh, an author this week, Robert Capon. He's an author, he's a priest, he's also a chef. And in it, he, as he looked at this parable, he goes, yeah, all I see in this prodigal son story is a festival of death. And I'm like, well, there's my title. And, and I have to preach that on Super Bowl Sunday because either for Bengals fans or for, who, who else is playing? <laughs> right? It could be a festival of death. <laughs> No, as, as I'm thinking through it, though, a, a festival, it brought me to parties. In Cape, and Capon, because he's a chef, he loves to write and talk about parties. And as I think about a good party, I just wondered, what is it that makes a party good? I'm not going to put it out there because I don't want to know. <laughs> no, when I think about a good party, I think about this. I know that I can show up and be me. Anybody else? Amen? Right. I know a party's good when I can come, and I don't have to be something I'm not. I know that I'm around then friends, people who care about me, people who know me, who allow me to be me with all my, my rough edges as well as, you know, my bad jokes, as well as, you know, the things that I have to offer. I get to bring me and be me. I mean, in some ways, that's, for me, the picture of what the church is supposed to be, right? That's, that's something that I want watershed for us to be a community. Hard to to be as a larger community that, that, in a way, we get to, every week, have a little party being grateful for what God has done and who we get to be with him, right? I can be free to have, have the rough edges as well as the pieces that are all put together. That's a good party, in the story of the prodigal son, what we see is a good party. We see a son who who once, I mean, he 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 comes back to the father, and what we'll see is he comes with all of his rough edges. He gets to be who he is, and a party is thrown. I mean, it's this beautiful picture of what God's table is, of not these perfect people all put together, but it's sort of the island of misfit toys who are loved by God, who are redeemed, who are bought back by God, who are even in our worst still loved by God, restored by Him because He knows that the only way we'll ever be changed or transformed is by that very grace and love. And in the prodigal son, this festival of death this morning, we'll see that that's costly. So if you will turn with me, if you have your Bible along, otherwise you can follow along uh, on the screen. We're in Luke 15. Again, Jesus is pointing his way towards his own death, his death on a cross, and what he'll do in his resurrection. Remember, for parables, the setting is important. So, first couple verses, right in in Luke 15, give us the setting. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, right, the riffraff, we'll say. We're sitting around Jesus. They were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so the religious, so you got the immoral and the moral, right? The religious, the irreligious are sitting around and they mutter, the religious mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right? This is a disgrace. Jesus then tells two parables about a lost coin. And in that as well, not only a lost coin, a lost sheep. And then we come to the parable of the prodigal son. So Jesus continued, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. You know what? I'll set out. Go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. Right, The word there means his guts rolled over. He couldn't help himself. He was overcome. And he ran to his son threw his arms around him, kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what's the dad do? He cuts him off. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come," he replied. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he, he has him safe and sound. Well, the, other brother, the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, You're always with me. You're always with me. You've always been with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's where the parable ends. Jesus comes to an end saying, No more. A story for a younger son doesn't continue the story for an older son doesn't continue what's jesus saying here what's what's he doing in this parable right well first off in this festival of death i want us to see something right away this story starts with a death we might pass it by really quickly in verses 11 and 12 jesus continued there was a man who had two sons Right? We think about this as the prodigal, the one who is lost, who was dead and now found. But listen to this. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me sh- my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The younger son's request was a request that we go, yeah, you're dead to me. That's what he would be saying. I want my inheritance. You're dead to me. His inheritance, because there's two brothers, would have been one-third of the estate. That's how it would divide up. Older brother would get two-thirds, he'd get a third. Again, more children, that gets out. But the older brother always gets one extra portion. But he says to his father, you're dead to me. Now let's, let's go back a few thousand years to the culture of the day, okay? Because to me, if I said that to my dad, we'd just have family division and we wouldn't talk at Thanksgiving dinner, right? We might not have that meal together. Then... Oh, daddy boy should have taken old sonny boy out to the woodshed, right? To say the least, by the way, the law said he could have killed him. That kind of request that said you're dead to me meant when I want your inheritance, you you literally, let's put it in this context, if you own a business today, dad, you need to sell that property and everything you have, and now you need to give me the proceeds of that. Dad, like, I want, you need to die, and I want to help you do that. And what's the father do? Right, Jesus starts this. Remember, parables are upside-down stories. They don't make sense. This scandal of grace. The father doesn't take old sonny boy to the woodshed. The father doesn't take old sonny boy out to the community swear and start saying, hey, pick up some stones. Hey, folks, let's have some fun. (laughs) No, he shows mercy. See, that's what mercy is. Mercy is not giving out what somebody deserves. It's withholding a punishment that's deserved. This father says, no, instead of doing what I should have done, I'm not going to. And the law entitles me to whoop you, and I'm not going to. I'm going to die. A father divides, literally divides in the Greek, biome. Anybody know bio? What kind of course in school follows that? Bio, biology, right? Literally divides his life. Everything he has, he sacrifices. And he gives a third to his son. He gives what's called grace. Right? An unearned love. An inheritance is not earned by children. Sorry, kids. If you're, if you're waiting for an inheritance and think you earned it, you didn't. Um, by the way, <laughs> mom and dad did. <laughs> if they give you any of it, it's a grace. It's unearned. <laughs> right? The father divides it. And what's the scripture say? It divided it between them. Which means, to both sons, he gave up his life. So Jesus starts the story by helping us understand a little bit about who God is. That our God isn't coming swinging two-by-fours at us, folks. Our God is one who's willing to sacrifice himself for us. Even when we are dead wrong. So Jesus continues this festival of death by then talking about the younger son and and again we remember these words we hear these words not long after that then the young younger son got together all he had so this third of his the estate and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living right we're going to call this just the the self-autonomous life the me-centered life, the I am God life, right? I get to do what I want, how I want, when I want. How many of you have ever wanted to do that in your parents' house? Okay, be honest, <laughs> right? Rarely any of us have ever, you know, not wanted to do that. Well, he gets to, right? It, the grass is always greener on the other side. But what we learn to find out is sometimes there's wisdom. Sometimes that which we rebuff was there for a reason right after he had spent everything there was then a severe famine in the whole country right we can't always predict we can predict sometimes the things we do and the repercussions sometimes though we can't predict the things that happen that we have no control over so both the things he do have repercussions but also the life that we live has repercussions we have nothing to do with and he finds out that he begins to be in need so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, because now he's got to make a living. And what happens? He sends him out to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach. Can you imagine this? Right To get to a spot where where you long to fill your stomach with the food that pigs eat. I grew up next to a pig farm. You do not want to eat that slop. I don't know how pigs enjoy it. It's the only thing that may make me question bacon. Okay, like to see what goes into a pig. And yet this is what he longs for. Right, and he says, he comes and he says this, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and yet I'm starving to death. You know, you may have heard this story told before and I, and I think for this younger son, it's the, it's the traditional picture of what we might call sin right? The, I think I know better. It's the, I don't need God. I don't need anyone else to tell me what to do. I'm in full control. Just let me have at it. Give me my freedom. And what, what do we find out? Freedom isn't necessarily always freedom. And it may look great at first. It may feel great at first. And yet somehow over time, it spirals out until we have no control. And not only have we alienated and isolated ourselves from people who loved us, a father, an older brother, right? A community we were a part of. But pretty soon we isolate ourselves from those we are employed by. and, And we isolate ourselves so much from other people that we're feeling absolutely alone. That's Satan's goal with sin. Right? God isn't sitting there going, I don't want you to do this so that I can be the killjoy of fun. No, he knows what destroys our life, and he knows Satan's whole goal in life is to steal, kill, and destroy. To separate us from a God who loves us. To separate us from people who have the potential to love us. And here this younger sits, living that self-actualized, self-autonomous, me-centered life. And he found the end, and he said, me reached my point of death I got nothing you know what if I just go back to dad and be a good boy again I won't be I won't be a son I get that because I'm sure he don't want the repercussions he's probably feeling pretty lucky he got out there with his life to begin with but maybe maybe I can just be a servant Maybe to my best efforts, I can make it better than what I have here. Well, he goes back, right? We hear this story, and as he goes back, he's rehearsing all along the way, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth, and I've sinned against you. Um, I'm no longer able to be your son, and if I could just be one of your hired hands, how many of you ever rehearsed this story? Right? When I got a big old dent in the trunk lid of my car, I was rehearsing this story before mom and dad ever got home because, yeah, I didn't back the car in the garage. I knew when I pulled it in, no, that was the first thing they were going to see. And I had this story ready to go the minute dad got out of the car. Right? <laughs> this is that son. He's like, I've got it all figured out. I'm going to control the situation. I couldn't control my life over here, but I couldn't control this. But while he was still a far way off, when the father saw him, a father again does one of those unthinkable things. Listen, you're over 40, you're a Jewish man, you don't run. I don't run today, and I'm a white Dutch dude. So, <laughs> he sees his son. He's moved with compassion. a father who never stopped loving his son. Father who longed for his son to come home, didn't want that to happen, knew though, kind of like God does, if we read Romans 1, he's like, sometimes the best option is to let you go your way. Sometimes we tried everything else, and I just got to let you go, and I got to let you do your thing, and and you're going to have to learn by doing your thing. But this father longed for his son to return, and what does he do? He runs to his son. And he embraces embraces him. And I I don't know why the son couldn't finish the sentence, make me one of your hired hands. I don't know if it was because the sight of his father running towards him, I'm imagining with tears in his eyes, ready to embrace his son, just, just stopped him dead in his tracks. I don't know if it was because the father just wouldn't let him finish the sentence. But the father runs and he embraces him and says, go get the robe, go get the ring. The ring is the sign of the family. Right So we're now we're pulling the Godfather kind of stuff. We're going to get him a ring. Right? Like, you're fully restored. You don't have to do anything to make this better. You came back. You changed your mind. That's called repentance. You changed your way of thinking. And it was enough. And by the way, it wasn't right, because he didn't need to earn anything with his dad. He hadn't earned anything with his dad. He, he missed the whole fact that his dad loved him. He now sees that his dad loves him, and he goes, listen, this son of mine is returned. Let's throw a party. And this ain't any old party, because the fatted calf, by the way, which is the next death, is only preserved for the most special of parties, like, it's, it's the calf that today we're going to talk about, like, fully organic, grass-fed, no, no, no special anything mixed in it, right? I mean, good old meat. I mean, the meat's, oh, it's Kobe beef, you know, that kind of stuff, right? You're, it's tender. It's, it could feed literally 500 to 600 people. The Father celebrates. My son who is dead is alive again. Right? Let's get this fattened calf and kill it. Right? This calf was, its only purpose in life was to be raised up to die so that people could celebrate. Let me say that one more time. The only purpose for this calf's life was to be raised up as the choicest of beef, of the most perfect that you can make it, right? Cow was raised up. To die so that people could party, could celebrate. Does that sound like someone to you? Like Jesus who is the lamb to be slain? Jesus who is the most fully human human, the most perfect human, the one who is completely right, who can't do what, or who won't do what we will do, who has done everything we can't do. In his perfection, he lives, why? So he could die and take on our sins, right? So he could take on all the younger brother nature in all of us, because we all got a little younger brother in us, don't we? We all want to go our own way. We all have a better idea in mind. We all could tell God how he should write the Bible, right? Y'all be honest, right? (laughs) But God would sacrifice the best for us so we could have life. Throw a festival. Throw a party. We could just stop there in this beautiful parable. I mean, it'd be upside down. It'd be like, this is, hey, hey, hey religious leaders, because remember, he's talking to Pharisees, teachers of the laws, who think they got it all together, and they're wondering why Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. We could have stopped there and said, this God does unimaginable things. It's this upside-down grace and this is why. It would have been good enough, but Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? There's another act to the play, the older son. The older son, who, by the way, has two-thirds, all of the property, oh, and that fattened calf that was just slain, wasn't the father's to slay. It was the younger brother's. So remember at the very beginning he sold off everything and divided among them so this grace was gifted to the older son as well as to a younger son but the young the older son had a way of living a different kind of death while sin on one side is sort of that self actualized self autonomous me centered life there's another me centered life and it shows up in a different way the older brother became angry He refused to come in, right? He heard the party, wondered what was going on, and he refused to go in, which, by the way, was sacrilegious in its own way. If dad's throwing a party, somebody's throwing a party, and you're invited to come in, you come in, right? You don't sit outside and whine. Well, he does. He sits outside and whines. So what does his father do? His father, again, does something unimaginable. As much as he runs to the younger brother, and you don't do that, he now leaves the party. The host leaves the party. You don't leave the party as the host. That's sort of a cultural suicide thing too. He leaves the party to go to a whiny older brother. And that's me saying it. That that's not a father. This father goes out and he pleads with him. But he answers his father, look, all the years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. Oh, by the way, the look is look you. You ever get one of those? That's not look. No, you look. Right? That's the finger pointed in the face. That's the, I'm going to now, it's now my opportunity to stand up to father. Right? Right? Look, you, listen to all these, years, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Another kind of me-centered living, right? And he goes on to say this, But this, when this son of yours, right, who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Hey, look, you, this is what you're going to do for him? How do we know he even knows what he was doing out there? My guess is the older son is like, dude, when he got to do everything I always wanted to do, but I was trying to be a goody-goody two-shoe the whole time, right? Anybody ever have that? Get, ever get angry because he wanted to do something you couldn't do and you know you shouldn't do? <laughs> While one is immoral, the other maybe is worshiping the moral? The morality? While one is maybe irreligious, the other is being overly religious? It's as much me-centered as his younger brother. And what's the father say? My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Right, Everything I have is yours. You missed it as much as your younger brother missed it. All you've been in this whole story is about my stuff, just like he was about my stuff, and neither one of you wanted me. And you missed it, because all I've ever done is love you both. Whether you've lived your life rightly or whether you've lived your life wrongly. Whether you've made mistakes or whether you've done everything you were supposed to. It doesn't matter. Neither one of those are what actually is what matters. What matters is me and you and you missed it. And I want you to come in just as much as I want to throw a party for him. Because I love you. Jesus was a magnet. For tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and teachers of the law, for the religious and the irreligious, for the immoral and the moral, for those who were going to conform to everything and those who were going to push back at everything. Because God said, hey, neither one of those ways is actually the way of life. The only way of life is you and me. That's the father for us. As Jesus talks to these religious leaders, as he tries to answer, yeah, the tax collectors and sinners, they're my children as much as you're my children, so don't miss why you're my children. You're not my children because you went to Sunday school. And you're not my child because somehow you screwed up so bad and finally got it figured out so you could try to be one of my heart. No! You're my child, Period. And when you get that, that will redefine everything. So is it a parable of a prodigal son? Is it a parable of prodigal sons? Because both sons wasted their lives. Both sons were living in death. One one son saw himself as a slave to his father. Man, that's a death. One son went his own way, ran away from the father. That was a death. And yet, what they missed was a father who would sacrifice for them time and time again. Would take on shame, would take on the community, disgrace, would take on everything. Would take all of the punches so that they could have life. That's scandalous grace. Now I want to thank Pastor uh, Tim Keller. I'm going to give you one more sermon in three minutes. I can do it. This is just a test. Somebody time me. Remember how he said there's a lost son? This is kind of the parable of the lost son. We got a lost coin, and we got a lost sheep before. In the two parables just before that, what you see is somebody always pursues that which is lost. And yet in this lost son, do we ever see somebody pursue the son, the younger son who runs away? No, we don't. Why? Because the older son in all of his self-righteousness neglected his duty. While he thought he was so right and did everything he was supposed to, the older son's responsibility was then to hold the family together. And did he pursue his younger brother? No. Instead, he sat out and whined about anything that was shown good to him. Right? He left him aside. And Jesus, in saying this to these religious leaders, says, you better be careful because I've got a lot of people who need to know my my." my love. I got a lot of people who need to know my grace. And here's the deal. I'm going to be the older brother who runs after them. That Jesus is the true elder brother. While the, the religious may have neglected the duty, while sometimes in our own culture the church may have missed the mark completely, we have may, maybe been too hung up in our, in our programs, in our posturing, in our, in our morality, that we forget that God is a God who loves us inherently for who we are because he created us and he doesn't want anything more for us than to be in relationship with him. And it is about whether we ran away or we got it all together together. See, that's grace. It's an unearned, unmerited love. Jesus ran after us. He left the throne, Philippians 2. The king of the world left his throne to come find us. Reckless love? Absolutely. Because it costs. It costs every time. I literally spit on that sacrifice. It costs every time somebody hears the good news and doesn't repent in turn. It costs every time we get more hung up on the things of God than in God. Does God want to change us? Absolutely. But before he ever changes us, before he ever Wants to do anything in us. He wants us to know more than anything that he loves us. The God who created us holds us and isn't going to let go. Again, throughout this series, I've been reading from this short little book, Scandalous Stories, about each one of these parables. And I just want to finish with the writing about this Jesus. And uh, they write this Sorensen and Price. Yet the father invites both brothers in. That's the grace. He invites both brothers in. The younger comes in, but we never hear what the older does. That's where the story stops short. Unfortunately, we find out from the rest of Jesus' story that most of the older brothers never really come around. Most of the time, it's the immoral who come in. It's not the moral. He says the older brothers in Jesus' story ended up having the father arrested Tried, whipped, beaten, and crucified. They rejected the father's invitation, but you and I don't have to. His invitation to come in and rejoice with him still stands. Because a sacrifice has been made. The sacrifice of another brother, a truly righteous brother. The sacrifice is there for you to feast on today. And it's so much better than a fatted calf. The feast he invites you to, us to partake in, is the feast of his very own body and blood for the covering of our sins. He invites the older brothers and younger brothers to his feast today. To all the Father says, come. Repent of your self-righteousness, repent of your unrighteousness, and enjoy the feast that the Father has provided for younger brothers, for older brothers and for you. That's God's scandalous grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for being that true elder brother who just pursues us. Who won't let us go. Thank you for being a father who's willing to divide the best that he had, his very life, so we could have life. Thanks for God, when we try to make it back on our own terms, you don't even allow us to do that. Thanks for when we're sitting out whining about what somebody else has or received and we think we should have gotten this or that in return, you still run after us, inviting us in. There's not one of us who isn't getting to hear you say, come in. So Lord, I pray that this morning that we're reminded of that great great invitation. As all of us share a little of the younger, share a little of the older in ourselves. Lord, you remind us again that it's not neither one of those brothers is the answer. But you are. So God, just breathe your life into us. Again, thank you for your parables, your stories. They come into our lives in different ways. I mean, they, they just connect to us in ways that sometimes just this is how it is, doesn't quite work. Those stories make us think. They challenge our hearts, our minds. But At the end of the day, again, God, you, you meant to encourage, comfort the afflicted. And you weren't scared to afflict the comfortable. So God, do that in us. But remind us again that great grace that transforms and changes us. And may we then participate not only in the party, but may we be people who invite others into that party of your grace, of your life. That we show it in how we act towards each other, that we show it in how we, 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 we engage, we we shake hands, we grab a door for somebody, how we serve others. May that goodness and compassion flow through just to us for the sake of a world that you desperately love. Again God thank you. We love you we praise you in the name of Jesus. All God's people said Amen.
0: We're going to sing about that unfailing love one more time. Go ahead and stand with us please.
1: how we perform. Yeah, does God want to change our lives and shape Him and bless others? Absolutely. But that's not what makes Him love us. And there's not a place that you could have gone or have been or are that God doesn't welcome you back from. His love never fails, it never gives up. It never runs out on you, on me, on us. So be blessed. With this blessing, the Lord bless you and keep Lord causes his face to shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance his smile upon you and give you his peace in the name of the father the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's children said amen. Amen. amen go in peace and if you don't mind sacking a few chairs we'd appreciate it